Welcome to PD Insider, the podcast edition. In each episode, we bring you conversations with experts in the law firm professional development community so that you can stay current on industry trends, topics, and innovations. In this episode, PLI's Craig Miller speaks with Meg Holman, Chief Talent Officer for Ogletree Deacons. Meg discusses the many considerations facing law firm management and other employers planning and implementing the return to office for their staff. Her professional perspective grants helpful insights on what we've learned in the last year and how we can use those insights to improve the legal industry. Welcome, Meg. I'm pleased to see you. Thanks so much, Craig. It's an honor to be here. We're very glad to have you and, and your background and experience really, I think, make you uniquely qualified to help us unwind this really critical subject right now. Would you agree that prior to COVID-19, law firm leadership typically was skeptical of remote work as a predominant mode of operation? Well, unfortunately, I, I would agree with that. I think um, most of that reluctance and concern, or, or much of it, stemmed from the fact that the way we train and develop our lawyers is very hands-on. They, uh, lawyers don't come out of law school knowing how to practice law, and we do rely on that mentoring and shoulder-to-shoulder exposure to seasoned lawyers doing the work to really get them to the next level. And that's very difficult to do when you're not in the same office. Do you think the events of the last 15 months, though, have changed their mind about remote work? Um, I think uh, many minds were already in the process of change. And I think what we just experienced over the last year will definitely accelerate that. Um, I think disruption is a wonderful change agent. And if anything, uh, over the last year, we have all been disruptive. We've been disrupted at home and we've been disrupted at work. Um, And I think there'll be some some benefits to that if we pause and take a critical look at, at what the outcome was. So that's, I think that's a great point. And, and you've worn both the hat of a chief operating officer and the chief strategy officer of the law firm. And with your operational and planning expertise, how do you begin to approach the planning around a law firm's return to the office? Well, I, um, I think there are really two phases of thought about that. First and foremost, in that short-term planning, we have to think about the health and safety of our workforce as we start to return to some kind of routine office presence. So that in and of itself is very tricky given um, what employees in law firms have been through over the last year. The anxiety levels around that transition um, are going to be high and we have to anticipate that. So that's one set of challenges in the short term. And then longer term, I am hopeful that law firms will take a moment to think critically about the experience that we've had over the last year and ask some hard questions about performance and what we learned and look for you know, the, the benefits and the challenges around being more flexible around where and and when, quite frankly, people are working in law firms. Given all those factors, do you expect, or maybe you already know, of an increase in demand by lawyers and staff for a hybrid or more flexible work arrangement? Have you gained insight into that? And how should firms go about finding out what people are thinking 
and concerned about with respect to the return to the office? Well, I'll, I'll say two things. Um, you know, being a chief talent officer, recruiting for both staff and lawyers fall under my umbrella. And we are already seeing that the option of remote work and flexibility and the fact that we've demonstrated over the last year that it can be successfully accomplished. People can be productive. You can maintain uh, a level of collaboration and engagement using technology and uh, being very deliberate about that. It can be done and it can be done effectively. So we're already seeing in, in the talent space that that's upping the ante on what the best and the brightest talent are asking for when they come to the table. It's not just about cultural fit. It's not just about compensation. Um, now it's about flexibility. And that's something that um, lawyers in particular, and I, I think it has to do with their level of autonomy and their level of responsibility in the organization. I think that's gonna continue to be part of what people are um, looking for when they're looking for the right fit with their employer. And so you believe at the end of the day, a hybrid work environment can align with a law firm's you know, near-term and long-term strategy in a profitable and client-centric way? Um, I, I think the answer to that is yes, but I think there's a lot to un, unpack in that. And, and one question that you asked uh, previously that I didn't really answer was, you know, how, how do we know? How do we know what people want and are expecting as we do transition back into an environment where remote work is a choice? It's not forced upon us. It's a choice. Um, and people are going to expect, I think, more autonomy and more flexibility around that. But how do we know? Well, number one, we know because we're seeing it in the marketplace, as I just said, you know, that, that along with compensation and cultural fit are, are definitely part of the conversation and will continue to be. But also, I think smart law firms are asking, um, you know, at Ogletree, when we think about the short-term return to office presence, um, communication is key. So outreach to your employees, including staff and lawyers, prior to um, any requirement to return to the office, to ask about their level of anxiety, to gather more information about the challenges that they face, reestablishing that support network that they had prior to the pandemic, that they that enabled them to have office presence. So I'm thinking about child care and even adult care. Um, so many people in the work environment now, in the workplace now, are caring for young children and or um, aging parents, which creates a whole set of challenges that um, people need a minute to reestablish those support networks that enabled them to have office presence. So I, I think law firms who are willing to do that outreach um, and not just asking for information, but giving people information about the safety precautions that they're taking, lots of advanced notice about what the expectations will be so that people have time to get vaccinated, so that people have time, again, um, to make sure that their personal lives um, are supported in a way that will enable um, office presence in, in a way that is routine and it's a new routine. You know, we, we've had a year of remote work and now this is a new transition 
Um, so I think that level of communication, it can't be too much and it can't be too deliberate. I think it's going to be essential for all of us as we make this transition. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, communication is going to be key to getting this right, soliciting uh, feedback and, and input from staff and lawyers is going to be critically important that they feel that you know, their needs are being heard. And I think you put your finger on it, especially you know, what happens with school reopenings towards the autumn uh, will really uh, be a bellwether of how things may go. So those are all important things and they're all sort of in process right now. As, as part of it, you know, Ogletree has more than 50 offices across the U.S. and other parts of North America and Europe. Do you, do you envision any physical changes to the offices to adapt to and support a hybrid work culture, you know, with likely fewer people present in the office on a daily basis? And, you know, what might that look like? What kind of changes might there be? Well, and, and I will say, again, I joined Ogletree in January, so I wasn't part of the transition to remote work um, but I do know Ogletree's approach with that transition was to be flexible and also be very tailored to the local office and um, that community and evaluating the, the risks and the viability of remote work based on that community. And I, I think that will be true of the return to office. Um, Ogletree's approach has been, or is gradual, um, Right now, of course, putting the health and safety of individuals first. So firm administration, including our COVID risk and contact tracing team and the general counsel's office is working with those over 50 offices, um, primarily in the US on a case by case basis to develop a return to office plan. Um, and currently it's interesting given the size and the location of the offices, we're already seeing between 45% and 100% back in the office, but it very much depends on the assessment of COVID risk specific to that community. Um, and to your point, the physical space available. And then the third thing in the short term anyway, that's very much impacting those plans is the vaccination status of the employees in that office. Um, but I will say just by way of example, our Patewood, Center is a, a center for operational excellence in Greenville, South Carolina. So in Patewood, we bring together most of the finance team, most of the HR team, our real estate um, and infrastructure team. They're all based in this one very beautiful, very modern open floor plan office. So in the short term, while health and safety is again, the primary focus, um, their return to that space will be very different than some of our other offices that do not have a, a modern open floor plan that still have a very traditional office-based floor plan where you have doors that close. So in that case, uh, rotational staffing, um, I think will be key and that has been part of it. And also again, to my point about um, inviting people back to the office in a, in a time where that transition is going to bring some anxiety with it, the, the phase in of return to work will be graduated with the idea for Patewood in particular, that we will be back to a more routine office presence by the time children are in school in the fall. So over the course of the summer, giving people time to make that change. Uh, but to your point, again, 
changes in the physical space right now are about um, maintaining social distance. Going forward, I think the changes in the physical space, and particularly as our commercial leases come up, um, and I'm not just talking about Ogletree, I'm talking about across the, law, the legal industry, the law firm industry, as we see commercial leases come up, and they don't all come up at the same time, we know how that works, I think law firms are going to look very carefully about how much space they need. Because if people are truly on a rotational status, if hoteling is finally a word that we can use in the law firm space, um, it's going to change the square footage that we need. And it's going to have a, a very, or it can, have a very dramatic impact on our overhead costs. Um, you know, real estate after people is our number one um, overhead expense. And I think that's true across the industry. Yeah, that, that's great. I mean, there are so many factors to consider here, and it is it is a it is a complex question. And there is a difference uh, by location, and uh, and as you mentioned, vaccines are key, and vaccines continue to be distributed, and the CDC has provided guidance to lower restrictions, such as mask requirements for vaccinated individuals. Uh, the EEO has stated that employers can require employees to be vaccinated in order to return to the workplace, and ask for proof of it. Uh, you know, while allowing for the Title VII medical or religious accommodations. That's federal law. Uh, state and local law may take a different view. Delta Airlines in your hometown of Atlanta recently announced that all new employees must be vaccinated. Does your law firm or others you may know have a plan to address a vaccine requirement? Thinking more broadly about law firms, my experience in the market right now is that most firms, if not all, will encourage vaccination, but very few will require it um, or require a mandatory disclosure of vaccination. I mean, you, you've already hit on this. Um, in Montana, you know, we don't have a lot of employees in Montana. Uh, there are very few law firms who do, has already enacted, you know, a limitation on employers. And we'll see, I'm sure, other, um, other states take similar positions and then for those of us who have employees outside the U.S. where the privacy provisions of the GDRP and other country-specific laws are more restrictive, that's going to create another set of considerations. But setting aside you know, the kind of explicit legal prohibition against the vaccine requirement or required disclosure of vaccine status, um, those type of mandates, unless they're handled very carefully, they, they raise kind of a myriad of legal complications that most employers want to avoid. You know, at Ogletree, the approach has or is, again, um, to be supportive and respectful of personal choice. That being said, the firm is asking people to voluntarily disclose vaccination status. But again, I, I do think most firms are going to um, ask for voluntary disclosure rather than have some kind of mandate or requirement. Well, that, that's very that's very important information. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I mean, the idea of uh, voluntary, uh, basically confidential uh, self-reporting on on the matter, I think is, uh, is is a very interesting subject that people will examine uh, as well. In addition to the manifest health issues of this pandemic, uh, there are the pressing concerns that you've mentioned about well-being, and equally, of course, issues of fairness and equity. Uh, for underrepresented and diverse populations. 
Do you see the new work environment as an opportunity for improvement with these issues? Uh, or are we, if we're not careful, might it exacerbate them by creating new divides between those who can work on site and those who need to remain remote? How, how do we get a, a good outcome and a good balance from all of this? Um, there are no easy questions around what we're going through right now. Um, I'll, I'll address well-being first, though these two issues are so closely yoked, I think they, they do flow together. Um, you know, Ogletree was a very early signatory of the ABA's well-being pledge. Um, and thinking about what our people suffered over the last year and the transition of moving back um, to a post-pandemic world, we've really placed a renewed emphasis on well-being in the workplace. Um, and, and one key uh, aspect of that that we've tried to emphasize is that it's not just about lawyers. It's about all of our team members, lawyers and staff. And we're starting with the basics, you know, relentless communication about the resources that are available to support mental, physical, and emotional well-being. And, you know, physical well-being has been easier to talk about. You know, we can talk about um, gym memberships and, and discounts around those kinds of things, but mental and emotional well-being are so private. But I don't think there are any of us who have escaped challenges around mental and emotional well-being um, in the recent past. So, you know, benefits such as our EAP, so employee assistance, assistance programs are chronically underutilized by employees everywhere. So at Ogletree, we're trying to combat that with very deliberate communication, uh, really a campaign, emphasizing the variety of support resources that are available and the fact that it is confidential. Um, I, I don't know how we can communicate that more clearly, but I do think that is often one of the impediments to people really making full use of the EAP program, um, understanding that it is confidential and it's um, not something that will be known by us, the employer, or their peers at work. Um, the firm also provides benefits around backup child and adult care. Um, so I, I think that is an essential benefit. Uh, it's a key piece of well-being for folks as they again, try to reestablish that network of support so that they can be back in the office. You know, the other piece of it, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, the importance of, of that, of diversity and inclusion in the workplace has never been more important. And at Ogletree, um, I'm, I'm thrilled actually, Recently, we've welcomed a new Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer, Leah Dorsey. She joined us from Denton's, um, I think, maybe five weeks ago. But working closely with Leah on all things related to talent will be a huge part of our response to the challenges that we face in those areas moving forward. Um, I have a slide that I use when I give my stump speech about the priorities for talent at Ogletree and diversity, equity, and inclusion is kind of at the top of the umbrella. So it has to influence all of the decisions that we're making with regard to recruiting, with regard to onboarding, with regard to training and development, 
um, mentoring and sponsorship, and even with alumni relations. I think that it, uh, in order to be successful, our talent initiatives and our diversity initiatives must be integrated. Um, one specific example, and it's specific to our associate population, um, of, of, of a way that Ogletree is kind of proactively trying to address some of the issues that you raised, but during the pandemic, um, and actually it started before I joined, the firm started a sponsorship program for our black associates. It's specific to that group and the sponsors are among you know, the top rainmakers in the firm and they were hand chosen by one of our um, board members and invited to participate in this very important program. And Leah and I are both now involved in the continuation of that um, and I have to say it's, it's exciting to see that level of support. And mentoring is about giving advice and sponsorship is really about um, paving, paving a pathway of opportunity. So, you know, mentors talk to you and sponsors talk about you. you know, they raise your profile, they make sure that the work is flowing in a way that um, enables associate to get the associates to get the experience they need to advance in the workplace. I think it's going to be a, a really crucial part of uh, building that pipeline of diverse talent as we move forward. That's really brilliant that uh, the description between the mentor and sponsorship, I think, is very helpful to everybody who's watching and listening. Uh, and, uh, and also, I think you touched on another critical piece, which is that you really do have to have support at the highest levels of the organization to make these initiatives real. Uh, and, uh, and it sounds like uh, you do have that, that buy-in uh, and support at the top tier of your firm, uh, which is great to see. Uh, remote work is likely to have its impact felt on the onboarding and integration of new talent uh, into the law firm. What, what can PDs do to, uh, you know, to optimize for that? Well, I, um, I really can't wait to find out, though I know that the professional development community and law firms, um, which is such a wonderful, smart group of people who are looking for opportunities to do things differently, I know that we are all already thinking about this because in an environment where we don't, we can't rely on the on-premises routine of um, getting to know a firm that way, we're going to have to be more proactive and much more engaged with onboarding and integration of all of our new employees. And then very specifically with the onboarding and integration of our new lawyers and what their learning and development paths look like. You know, professional development uh, departments and now talent departments have made so much progress over the last, um, I would say 10 years, it's been much accelerated around our approach to the training and development of lawyers as they enter law firms. I think now we're gonna see an acceleration building on some of those trends. We've, we've demonstrated that you can use technology to build engagement and co connection. Um, Zoom is not always our favorite medium, but it's a very effective medium um, when we're thinking about uh, again, perpetuating culture through, through connection and engagement with new lawyers in, particularly, in particular as we move forward. I, I think this is, there's a heightened 
importance around this when it comes to our diverse lawyers and when it comes to uh, work allocation to develop the pipelines that you need to and the relationships that you need to create a workflow that will enable you to gain the experience to progress in your career. Those, those things are very different and the way you do those things are very different when you're not having the serendipitous conversations uh, in the break room or running into someone who you walk with to the parking lot at the end of the day um, you have to be much more deliberate. And I think there's going to be a huge opportunity for professional development teams in that space. Again, I think a lot of that work has already started, but we're going to see it accelerate. That's great. You talked about people starting during the pandemic, and I recognize on a personal note that you too joined your law firm during the period of the pandemic and while working remotely. Uh, anything you could share with us about what that was like uh, from your perspective? Oh, absolutely, though I, um, I think it's probably an experience that most of us um, went through during the pandemic. But to add to that, the challenge of trying to get to know and be integrated into a very large organization, it was daunting to say the least. Um, but I will say a, a silver lining to that um, is that it required me to present a much more um, full picture of who I am as a person in a way that I probably wouldn't have been comfortable doing immediately in a new workplace where I, um, of course, want to appear very professional and together. Uh, but I had to admit, you know, on a Zoom call like this with my new boss, the, the managing shareholder of the firm, that my six-year-old was in the other room and I had to take a pause to make sure that he was you know, interacting and engaged with his kindergarten teacher. Um, and I, I think those moments for all of us, really, I hope that we can learn from them, the importance of recognizing the humanity of the people we work with and um, giving them that flexibility and empathy that really, I think, will build stronger connections between people and the organizations they work for. Uh, that's that's really interesting because in some ways the remoteness has actually created a more intimate view in some ways. Uh, I mean, on a simplistic level, of people see into my home and I see into theirs uh, more than I ever would have imagined uh, prior to the pandemic, uh, you know, because of the Zoom and the cameras and, and that kind of thing. So it, uh, authenticity and uh, is really an important quality as we all sort of work our way through something without a real roadmap, you know, without a real, without a real compass, other than, you know, the, you know the, the character and the thoughtfulness that each of the individuals, particularly in leadership, you know, bring to this situation. I'd like to thank my guest, Meg Holman from Ogletree Deacons for sharing her insights. We look forward to you joining us for another edition of PLI's PD Insider. This is Craig Miller of the Practicing Law Institute. Thank you, be well, and get vaccinated. <laughs>